Well, good morning. Well, this morning we're going to look at a selectionary passage uh, from the epistles. Um, today is Transfiguration Sunday, and, and um, also we're, we're concluding this study on discipleship. This is the final uh, sermon in that series. So I want to look at um, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 3, starting at verse 12. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold. Not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is a spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled faces, behold the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart, but we have renounced disgraceful, underhanded ways and refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, but by the open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Let us pray. The Lord, as we think about this passage and what it may mean for us, just invite you, as always, to be at work among us and pray that what is said and shared be for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. This passage, I mean, it's, it's the epistle passage for Transfiguration Sunday because uh, it talks about the glory of God and but here I want us to think about this uh, image that Paul is using, and he's using image from the Old Testament, um, from Exodus 34. And what he's talking about is Moses, Moses who led the people out of, out of Israel. They were wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. You know, God brought them through the Red Sea, and, and then finally Joshua brings them into the Promised Land. But one of the things about Moses in Exodus that we're, we're told is when he would go and, and meet with God and he would first go meet with God on the mountain and, and then come down and he would have a message for the people or he would after they built the tabernacle he would meet God in the Holy of Holies and have a message for the people he was told that you know being in the presence of God the glory of God what's referred to as the Shekinah glory of God that when he would come out and we'd have a message that his his face would glow. I mean, he would kind of glow. And so what it says in Exodus is that he would put a veil uh, over his face. Now, it can be translated, they're, they're, you know, it's ancient Hebrew. Some ways it's translated, but most scholars um, feel what, what is happening there in, in Exodus, what's talked about, is the fact that he would, he would give the message to the people without a veil on. So they would see the glory of God, his, his connection to them. And then when he was finished, he would put the veil on. 
Um, some say as kind of a symbol to to their, you know, the, the, the message was over and, you know, to, to cover that glory. Some say, you know, to, to cover the glory so people could, you know, look at him or whatever. Um, different reasons. Um, it is... I don't think he he just went around everywhere with the with the glory that was uh, shining, but with the with the veil on his face, because here Paul is is referring to the idea that the glory of God would fade away, and I think we see that in 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 the Old Testament, we see that in the, the New Testament, the glory would kind of fade, and that what Paul is suggesting is that he he would put the the veil on when he was finished with the message so the people wouldn't have to see the glory that was fading away. Not the idea that he, you know, he kept a veil on all the time. Um, you know, it wasn't like he was pretending that you know, the, the glory doesn't, doesn't separate, that maybe it was as, he said, as a, as a statement of their separation of God or, or just a statement of not having to watch the glory fade. But what Paul's talking about is this veil of separation and this fading glory but that that goes away with Christ I mean that's the that's the first major idea Paul's building on when he's he began this this in verse 12 with because we have this great hope what he's talking about is the glory of the gospel the glory we have in Christ and because we have such great hope in that we're not stuck in that situation that if you think about it, and if you, if you know the transfiguration story in the Gospels where, where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John and they go up the mountain and he just shows the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God shows up. And Elijah and Moses stand there with Jesus and Peter wants to just stay there. And Jesus says, no, we've got to go down the mountain and they move on. This idea you can't stay on top of the mountain, but... The, that's something you see all through Scripture of God as light and His presence just brings out the light. In John's Gospel, it says that Christ is the light and wants to shine the light. We have a tendency to want the darkness because we, we don't want everything about us exposed. There's all of these ideas around that. There's a couple of things as, as we conclude this series we've been on discipleship that I want us to just draw on that Paul is, is mentioning here. One, this idea of the glory of God fading. And you see that in Scripture, that the glory of God um, fades. Even, even in, I think that's part of the story of the transfiguration, when Peter says, let's just stay here in God's presence. And Jesus said, no, you can't stay on the mountaintop. You got to go down into the valley and and live life, and it's a broken world, and there's difficulty that happens, and and sometimes that's why we have to be intentional. We've been talking about that for for weeks of intentional discipleship, of being intentional about trying to take a, a next step with Jesus, of spending a little time with Jesus, trying to find where God can meet you and you meet God. That's needed. But one of the things that you just want to, to know that is the major theme, as we said, it's, it's the glory that we find in Christ. 
We're not stuck in the situation of ancient Israel that he's talking about here. It's part of his point. We're not like Israel that has to wait on Moses. Uh, Moses, go meet with God and then come give us a message. And then that fades away from you. And there's a veil that separates us because we don't get to go meet with God. You, we've got to wait on you to meet with God again and come tell us a message that we're not in that situation. As we're told in, in the New Testament, we get to go directly to the throne of his grace because of the grace and, and the forgiveness and the gift of Christ. It is Christ that makes it. We just get to go directly into God's presence. It's called repenting. It's turning and, and asking forgiveness for your sins. and That's the gift that I read in one uh, commentary of the idea that the Old Testament, you know, the, old, the law, it's not that the law needs to be done away with, but he says there's a veil there, that the Old Testament kind of starts you up the mountain of understanding God's righteousness and God's glory and God's presence. But what makes you able to experience the summit, the top of the mountain in the presence of God is Christ, is the gift of, of the grace that we find in Christ. So first, I want us to realize the gift that we have in Christ. It is, it is that we are not like Israel. We are not, we're not like the Israel of Exodus that we wait on Moses. We get to go directly into his presence. But I do think there is truth around the glory of God fading. It's part of the idea of, of going to worship every week, of, of being before God, being intentional, finding time in your day to spend a little time with God because it, it, it can fade. Just drift away. That if you've ever been in a moment or a time or a season in your life that you just felt so close to God or an event or a retreat or a worship experience that you just sensed God's, you just felt God's presence, a revival. You know, you just can't stay there. And there's times where just going through life for all of us, it seems to fade. We all also have seasons that you wonder, where is God? Seasons, as we talked about a few weeks ago, the disciples, even at, after the resurrection, since some of them doubted, God still used them. We all have those seasons because we can all drift. We drift. Sometimes we don't even realize it. We will all naturally drift towards, towards comfort and, and complacency. It's just the way it works. We also see in Scripture there's multiple places with, you know, it says with, with, with uh, Samson and, and also Saul, and there's multiple people that talk about that God's Spirit left them and they weren't even aware because it's a slow drift away. But sometimes it just kind of fades. If we're not intentional, we'll, we'll fade away and drift off and wonder, how did, we, how did we get here? And there's part, you know, there's part of us that, in illustrating that point, I want to say, you will drift off and not realize you've drifted from God until it's too late. But the good news of the gospel is that it's never too late. That's the heart of what Paul's saying. We're given the gift of repentance and you can turn back because of what Jesus has done. 
That is our great hope in Christ. But as we have talked about discipleship, we, and I mentioned last week, we have an enemy. And we get reluctant talking about the devil or Satan. or the, the, There is an evil presence in the world. There is an enemy. There is evil in the world that wants to help us drift. It just happens. We begin to, to rationalize things. We are wired to, as I said, for story and tell story. And some of the biggest stories we tell is stories to ourselves. And we'll do it. I think that's why partly if you, Paul is saying here, if you just, if you just look at the law of keeping a rule list, a list if you're going to do it right and you're going to all just go by the right thing and that is the goal, you've got a veil there. You're not seeing all of it because the truth is we don't get it right. We are broken. We will rationalize and tell ourselves, oh, oh, that wasn't gossip. I wasn't really gossiping. Uh, I just really care about that person, and I, I needed to let some other people know so they could be praying for them. Or, or we will convince ourselves that's not really greed. I'm just trying to be, you know, provide for for my kids and do the best I can for my family. Or that's not really coveting. Or <clears throat> that's not really lust. I just admire beauty. I mean, we will always rationalize and think. You know, or even if it's some sin, we'll tell ourselves, "Well, that may be bad, but I'm not as bad as that other person." We have a tendency to just, it, it will drift. Paul talks about that other places in Scripture. We see that all through Scripture. That's why we need, we need Jesus who initiates in our drifting, in our, the invitation, who's the one who steps out and pays the price for all the ways we mess up so that we can, we can, we can enter back in so that we can be intentional and be able to, to enter into God's presence again. But it does require some intentionality. Or we'll drift. It fades. It's where that's kind of the first idea. The second idea I want us to think about is this idea of a veil. That Paul talks about, you know, there's a veil placed over, over Israel, and if you if you just read, thinking of the rule list being the point, you, you miss the the bigger picture of God's presence. Or if if there's other things, but I, I believe there's all kinds of ways that veils can be put in front of us. You 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 see the veil mentioned in the crucifixion, the veil of the temple that separated people from the Holy of Holies, and it rips from top to bottom when Jesus is crucified. This idea that, again, we have access. But we can allow all kinds of veils to get in the way. We've been talking about those. Whether it's busyness and we're too busy, or whether it's just we get distracted, whether we get tempted with, you know, hey, I just need to, instead of spending time with God, I deserve a, a little break of you know, binge watching this on television, which is not bad, but if, if we don't become intentional, we'll, we'll, we'll let a veil be put in front of us and, and we'll miss seeing. And that's partly what Paul is saying too, of what we focus on, what we look at, 
matters. We will begin to reflect what we look at and focus on. When we focus our attention on something over and over and over, we, we begin to, it becomes something we're aware of or consumed by or can have a tendency to even cause a problem. Even when it's something, uh, temptation that we don't want to step into, when we spend all our time focusing on that instead of being intentional about entering into God's presence, we can, we can miss it. It can be veiled. I, I give this illustration before of talking to my kids and riding a bicycle. Um, all of them, I've, I've had to tell them, when you ride a bicycle and when they're learning to ride a bicycle and you begin to ride on the street, you have to be intentional about looking at where the, you want the bike to go. That if you look at where you don't want the bike to go, like if you see a pothole and you're just looking, I don't want to hit that pothole, I don't want to hit that pothole, and you look at that pothole, you are ten times more likely to drive your bike right to the center of that pothole. You have, your, your bike will have a tendency to go where you look. And so if, if you want to miss the pothole, you have to look next to it or look at the path you want to go down, not what you're scared of hitting. And there's just some truth there in that. And Paul's talking about what we, what we let consume our focus can, can, can get in the way and veil our eyes. And shift us off focus and things can fade away. And so as we've said, this, this week we've put a link on our website, we've, we've sent out. And, but there again, even if you, if you can't get access to it on our website, go Google looking up, you know, Lenten spiritual disciplines, Lenten things you could do. But just as many lists as we can think of for little ways that we can be intentional. Some bigger ways, if that's what fits you. For you to think, what is the next challenge? What is something that would challenge me if it's reading reading Bible five minutes three times a week? If it's, you know, reading the Scripture, praying one minute a day. If you've never done it before, let that be your next step. Start somewhere. Because that's also what Paul ta is talking about. He mentions that word again of transformation which is metamorphosis, changing from the inside out. He, that we are being transformed. That if we'll be intentional and shift our focus and realize even if you got off track and it faded and you drifted to the point you think it's too late, nah, it's not too late. That's, that's our hope and glory in Christ. And if we will shift our focus and be intentional, Jesus wants to meet us. And sometimes it feels like such a small step. I mean, the enemy, the author of lies, loves to creep in there and say, yeah, but it's not going to make a difference. He loves to remind us, of, look at this big catastrophic sin in your life and this small step of trying to get past it. This, this you know, yeah, you may have sobered up for a week, but it's not going to make a difference. It's not, you know, where this spending a few minutes, but if you've never spent any time with God, a few minutes makes a difference. Or this idea of, well, just do something nice for your neighbor this week. Go do something kind. The enemy will love to tell you that didn't make a difference. Love to be bombarded with this, the brokenness of our world and feel overwhelmed 
to where you feel like my little effort doesn't matter. If it's spinning up and having, getting up in the morning, maybe 30 minutes earlier to have a 15-minute devotion time, the enemy will love to remind you, hey, John Wesley got up at you know 3 o'clock in the morning and had a four-hour devotion time. Yours doesn't measure up. That's not true. Small steps matter. The little things matter. And one of the ways I was reminded of that recently, and I've really been thinking on it ever since uh, my wife and I went to, to Israel, because it's something I had read before, but seeing it and being there um, made me remember it again, and I went back and did some more research in it. But hearing a, our tour guide, who, who was not even a Christian, mention this, and then bring to mind what, what I had thought of, and then Anyway, what it is in Mark's gospel, at the place where Jesus talks about, you know, the faith of a mustard seed. And saying, so you got to have the faith of the mustard seed. And if you have the faith of a mustard seed, this small faith, you can move that mountain. Tell this mountain to move into the sea. Now, don't get me wrong. I believe God wants us to have absolute faith and believe in miracles and amazing things happen. And you expect it and pray for it. But I think there's another side to what Jesus is saying that we sometimes miss. Because the location where Jesus is, where he says that, he's within sight of one of Herod's palaces. Now, Herod the Great was an amazing builder. I've learned since I went to Israel that amazing builder. And it wasn't that he had great architects that worked for him. He was brilliant. He was a brilliant architect, a bit paranoid and crazy, but a great architect. That's partly how Rome put up with him and gave him such authority as he could build great things, amazing aqueducts. I mean, he did it anyway. But as I said, a little paranoid and crazy. So a lot of his palaces and homes would have these significant ways that he was, especially as he got more paranoid in his life, you know, for protection. That's why he built the Palace of Masada. And Well, there's one palace. It's there that, that Jesus would have been in sight of. You could have seen where he, Herod wanted his palace inside a mountain. And he actually had slaves and servants move the move the top of a mountain from one location to another. They moved it. They moved the mountain so he could build a palace in there. There's something about that statement that's just given me great hope. Because when you, when you think about it in those terms of Jesus saying, if you have faith like a mustard seed, that's, that's the smallest of seeds. You, you can move a mountain. To which what's given me hope in, in the little things. Of going to work and, and just trying to bless somebody that week. Have a, have a little different attitude. Or, or you've got to wash the dishes. Think of it as an opportunity to, to join God in doing something for someone else. The simple little things. Spending a little time with God that the enemy will want to tell you that doesn't matter. You're not making a difference. That is a lie from hell. Because the little things are how the world changes. 
They're essential to the kingdom. Every major movement of God usually starts with one small step. Just an intentionality and, and the little things are the way the world changes because that is how in our, our area of the world, the, the corner of your life, where a world where life happens, those little things are how you move mountains. One shovelful at a time. And they matter. It's part of the invitation of the church. If we become intentional and everybody it's serving in some small way where you, you feel your the enemy will tell you your spiritual gift doesn't matter. Serving in that little ministry that doesn't make a difference. It does. That's how mountains get moved. When we begin to seek God and and just participate in kingdom work, even in small ways, we move mountains one shovel full at a time. So as you think about areas that you may need to grow in your own discipleship and areas that you want to take a next step, if it's connecting with another person, saying, hey, let's just start some accountability. Let's just try... It may go well for a while, and then it may kind of fade, and you just kind of have to be intentional and kind of re-upping and, and turning back, and that's, that's part of the gift of the gospel. Because that's what we do, we drift. But may you remember that the small steps, and when we, when we return and when we repent and small things happen, you are making a difference. That's how mountains get moved. Let us pray. Dear Lord, we praise you and thank you for your faithfulness and the, the hope we have in the glory of Christ that makes it possible for us to enter into your presence. May we experience your glory. May we be intentional. May we be aware of the moments and the ways that, that things fade. May we be aware of where our focus is and veils that are in our life and just, just, just turn back to you. Let you meet us, let you lead us, and realize our next steps, our, the small steps in your direction as we follow, they matter. We become part of moving mountains. Thank you for your grace and how you love us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.